0: Good morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to church. This is Back to Church Sunday. We're partnering with other churches all around the nation. It's just uh, an emphasis. As I mentioned earlier, any single Sunday, every single Sunday could be a Back to Church Sunday. Sunday. The encouragement is we want people to come to church. We want people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. They can hear about him at church. They can hear about him through you each and every day. But any Sunday, every Sunday could be a back to church Sunday. But as a part of where we are at here at Alger Assembly of God, our series, our study is entitled dna who we are and so we've been taking a little bit of a time going through and exploring who we are as a church what we said in the vision statement repeating it every week hopefully you've got it i'm not going to put you on the spot to to see whether you can uh, say it or share it but we are committed to helping people do what belong to a family believe in jesus build his i just messed it up myself Become a disciple and build his kingdom. Basics of God's word, basics of the church. We've looked at some core values. We've looked at the last couple of weeks, Acts chapter 2. We're going to jump back into Acts chapter 2 next week. But we've looked at some of the core processes and principles of the early church, how they were connecting one with another. They were growing in the Lord and growing in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But again, as Back to Church Sunday, we're desiring people certainly coming to church, hearing about Jesus Christ, connecting and, and forming that relationship with him. We want people to explore church. We want people to have an open heart for God. And sometimes the challenge is people are a little hesitant to. Have you ever encountered someone who's a little hesitant to come to church or a little hesitant to connect to church or some, to some church people? You ever wonder why? Sometimes, not every time, sometimes, unfortunately, people are hesitant because of people. Sometimes people are hesitant. Maybe they've had a bad experience. You ever had a bad experience in a restaurant? Ever had a bad experience in in a store and you're like, I'm never going back there. Because of the server, because of the the waiter, because of this person or that person or management, sometimes people have had some not so good experiences either in a church or sometimes in connecting to Christians, God's people. Someone quipped this quote, To dwell above with those you love, that will be glory. But to dwell below with those we know, that's another story. In other words, sometimes it's a challenge to get along with, to connect with other people. Getting along with people can be some of the most common challenges. Now, you would think, you would hope, and you would desire that in the church that there would be no issues and no problems with that. But listen, worldwide, not just... In local settings, but worldwide, there can be struggles and challenges connecting with people, connecting other people to God as a result of individuals. Now, you would think there's no issue in a church. You would think with Christians, we are God's body, God's family. We're ready to reach out to others with open arms. But sometimes the people you reach your arms out to are not just like you. They're different than you in some way. And there's a whole host of differences, right? A whole host. Uh, Whether that's in race, sexual orientation, whether that's uh, history and background, where they live, what school district they go to, what college they root for. I mean, you know, the biggies. There's differences when it comes to people. And so sometimes we can struggle opening our arms to welcome people when people are not quite like us. Because, hey, if everybody was like you, the world would be a better place. Well, the world would also be a, a lot more boring, right? Because everyone would be like you. But sometimes it's easier to open up our arms to someone who's most like me and harder to open up our arms to people who are not like me. But God's called us as Christians to love and treat people as God has loved and treated people, right? It must grieve God's heart when we as believers or we as Christians mistreat someone. It can dishonor his name. It can often hinder the gospel message in that person's heart. Maybe you've encountered some of those because of another Christian or another believer or visiting a church years ago. Unfortunately, because of something, someone is often closed, hard-hearted towards the things of God. So how we interact, how we treat one another, whether we welcome with open arms or not, can help or hinder others in pointing them to God. In fact, how we treat others, how we interact with others is really a direct result of what we think about God. So I'm going to invite you to the book of James. James is a very practical book, and certainly we're not going to go through the entire book of James. I'm going to guide you to James chapter 2. He gives some pretty solid instructions on how to welcome one another to the body of Christ, to church communities. So James chapter 2 is going to give us a handful of practical principles. How do you treat others? And so it's broad. This is how do we treat others in the body of Christ? How do we treat others that we're trying to point to Christ? But how do we treat others? First of all, I think the challenge is we're to accept all equally. Look at James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place... Well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, James is encouraging. James is admonishing the church not to have preferential treatment, not to show that. Certainly, the church ought not to be the place where There are distinctions. Well, we'll welcome you, but we're not really going to welcome you. We'll love and open our arms wide for you, but I am not so sure about you over here. Instead of favoritism, the encouragement is to treat one another, welcome one another equally. How do we see people? Hopefully the heart is that we can see people as God sees people. God sees people as individuals who have a need for a Savior. That's what you and I were. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, at one point, you were far away from Him. You were living in your own life. You needed someone to reach out to you with His love. Could have been a family member, could have been a friend. You could have, However you heard about it, you need Jesus to see you and to reach out to you in His love. That's how we are to see and reach out to other people, not playing favorites, but being consistent, welcoming one another equally. Now, James says, my brothers, he introduces and and he's writing to Christians. He uses that phrase many times. I believe it's about 15 times in this short book. My brothers, my brothers, I want you to know we're in this together. My brothers, we're part of the body of Christ. We are of the same family and on the same team. The Same family and the same team. Those, those are two units that should be close together, right? Your family unit ought to be close. If you're on a team, basketball, baseball, football, volleyball, If you're on a team, you're to work together as a team. And if you've been on a team that's not worked together as a team, you've probably seen some struggles. So part of the family, part of the body of Christ, part of that same team, family should welcome, family should accept one another in the love of Christ. Teams should welcome one another as a part of that team. Even in some of the championship teams, from you know, the great Chicago Bulls basketball teams of the 90s to the New England Patriots teams of uh, you know, the last 10 or 20 years, no matter what team you point to, you've got some incredible stars. But then there's also some people who ride the bench. They either rarely play or they never play. On a football team, you need a whole bunch of backups in case somebody gets hurt. Now, they're playing every day, every week in practice, but they might not see the field. They're necessary and important, right? Sometimes it's that second team. It's those backups who are kind of pushing the starters in practice. It's that that great defense that's pushing the offense in a football practice. So James is pointing out the fact we are to be consistent to welcome and to love everyone in the love that God has. And then he gives the illustration. He talks about the individual with the the gold ring and fine clothes versus shabby clothes. I mean, if somebody came decked out in a $10,000 suit, you know, with gold all all over their fingers and the Rolex and gold jewelry, and uh, came and sat down in Alger Assembly of God, do you think they might stand out just a little bit? Or would they just blend in with the rest of you and your $10,000 suits and, and Rolexes? I think they would stand out. I mean, James is saying in his day, that person would stand out. Uh, someone in that day wearing a gold ring, it, in a sense, it was kind of to, to let people know they were rich. I mean, today, we've got a lot of rings, a variety of golds. There's you know, real gold and, and fake golds. There's real diamonds and kind of the fake diamonds. I mean, we've got all kinds of jewelry. Here, if you have that, you're pretty much indicating of what you have. But he's saying, if that person came into their setting, and he's saying, if the person in the gold and fine clothes was catered to and the other person was pushed and shoved to the side, he's saying, you've just shown preferential treatment. You've just preferred this one over that one. James is saying, that ought not to be the case. We're to welcome and to accept all equally. Now, he's saying, In verse 3, if you pay attention to that person, in other words, if you're gazing upon that one, I mean, if that's all you can think about is, wow, look at this person or look at that person, what he's saying is you're turning your attention away from God, you're turning that attention away from that worship and that fellowship together, and now you're focused on this person, we're turning our attention away from God to the individual One person put it this way, we were all made of dirt. White dirt, red dirt, yellow dirt, brown dirt, and black dirt. Too often we judge someone's character by outward appearance. The encouragement James saying is to accept to welcome one another equally. Sometimes we've forgotten at one point we were too... Kind of a smelly sinner. I mean, I don't know what your life was like. Maybe you had a whole bunch of stuff in your life before Christ. Or maybe as myself, I was a child. I didn't have a whole lot of years of sinning under my belt. Uh, no, no murder, no you know, adultery, any of that stuff. But I was still a kid who had sinned. So I don't know what your life was like before Christ. But when we come and we surrender our heart and our life to Christ, he cleanses and he forgives us and gives us a brand new start. So let's us keep that in mind, that we would welcome others equally. Since everyone matters to him, everyone should matter to us. They might not look like you. They might not dress like you, sound like you. But do we welcome them as God would welcome them? James is saying, don't show favoritism. If you want God's favor upon your life, don't show favoritism. Welcome and accept equally. Secondly, he encourages us to respond to all gracefully. Verse 5 and following, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers. There it is again that next appeal about how do you respond to one another, he's encouraging us to do so gracefully. Listen up, hearken, hear, brothers, hey, we're a part of this, understand. But then he asks some of those, you know, a rhetorical question. He asks a question, he kind of wants a response, but the, the answer in each of these is really a yes. And it's hopefully to maybe point some things out to us at times, can be a contradiction in our lives. He's saying, hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom? In other words, if you've got Jesus Christ in your life, you've got the riches of heaven. You might not have a lot of stuff, but he says, rich in faith. Hasn't he done that? The answer is yes. And then here, James is asking these particular believers, aren't the rich the ones who are then oppressing you? The answer of what was taking place in that time and culture, he's saying is yes. And he follows it up. Aren't they the ones that are dragging you into court? He's saying yes. And aren't they then the ones who are blaspheming the honorable name by which you are called? The answer is yes. But remember, he just said, if this individual, this rich individual with all this stuff walks in and you tailor to that person and leave everybody else, isn't this the one who hasn't been treating you the greatest? James is saying you're contradicting yourself. We've got to respond to each and every one gracefully. Now, that particular day in culture, there was much of a rich upper class and a poor lower class maybe a little bit fewer kinds of classes than we might see today, Christians generally in this day and culture are more of that lower and poorer class. He's saying, aren't you going to be rich in faith? We've got the good news of Jesus. He saved us. He set us free. And on the flip side, the individuals who seem to have a lot of stuff, who are rich in the world, well, in a sense, they're poor because their their wealth won't save them. The the wealth that you have, the bank account, the stuff that you have doesn't get you into heaven. It's Jesus Christ. Encouragement is address people, treat people, respond with grace. Treat others the way God has treated you. That's, That's humbling to think about. No matter what your life was like before Christ, we're thankful that God has reached out to us with His love and that He was able to set us free, forgive us, and give a brand new start. He looked past our flaws, our sins, our mistakes, and treated us and loved us with grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor. You and I can't earn grace. We can't earn it. It's given. It's freely given. God reached out in grace to you. We also ought to reach out to others, whatever they might be like. See, encouragement, he's saying, listen, welcome and accept one another. Secondly, respond. How do we respond to one another? Do that gracefully. Thirdly, love all reciprocally. Love them like you would hope they would love you. Verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But he says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. Jesus taught, and in Matthew, you would hear about the golden rule, uh, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And as well, Jesus talked about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so James, he's repeating that Jesus is teaching it. James is repeating it, calling it the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's easy to do if it's someone you love, right? I mean, if they're a lot like you, if you get along with them, it's a whole lot easier to love them. But what if they're not like you? What if they don't love you? What if you can't stand them because they can't stand you? I mean, I just can't get over I cannot believe they love that team up north. I ain't talking to them. What if that was the case? And there's a whole lot of other differences of people. I I pick on the fun one because we banter back and forth. But you know, there's a lot of serious differences in our day and age and culture. Racial, spiritual, sexual, etc. A lot of differences when it comes to people. And we say, well, I'm not going to connect with them because they're not like me. They don't like my team. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. They don't dress like me. Well, how would you want them to treat you? I'd want them to love. I'd want them to encourage. I'd want them to welcome. Now, he's saying to love one another. Loving one another doesn't mean I agree with everything that you're doing. But I can love you. I can love you as God has loved me. So he's saying, Jesus taught it. I'm repeating it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, favoritism, view it as a severe sin. Sometimes, you know, we can get these little rankings in our mind. You ever had a ranking when it comes to sin? You know, there's the biggies. I mean, murder's up there. Right, is up there. All these things were, you know, people and listen. Adultery's not necessarily against the law, but we 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 put that with one of these biggies. So whatever it might be, you've got a list of biggies. If you do this, whoo, and you've killed somebody, you've done this, you've done that. We've got all of these big sins. But how many of you know? Sometimes we still struggle, even as a Christian. Have you ever sinned in the last however many years since you've given your life to Christ? Chances are good we have. But, you know, but our sins, our sins are little. Our sins are manageable. Our sins aren't like that person's sins. My sin isn't like this person's sin. That's that's what James is getting at. We sometimes distinguish. We minimize our sins, and we maximize other people's sins. He's saying, listen, if you show partiality, if you're showing favoritism, you're committing sin, and you're convicted as a transgressor. Favoritism is sin, and if you've sinned, you've sinned. But what we say is, well, my sin... Is like this your sin is like this mine's okay because I'm a. O- you get where the drift is sometimes this is how if we're not careful how we can approach other people James is saying that's not right if you keep the whole law but you fail in one point you're accountable for all of it man some of you are some incredible Christians you sin in one thing, guess what? You're a sinner. I didn't say it. Look it up. He says, you sin in one thing, you're accountable for all of it. And then he uses what we would probably say would be a couple of biggies. He says, well, the same one who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. And so you say, well, I sure haven't murdered. Man, but I've committed adultery. He's saying... Doesn't matter. You do one of those, you sin, you've broken the law. You're a transgressor. Every single one of us in some form or fashion have sinned. And as James is talking about in chapter 2, how do we interact with one another? Many times there's preferential treatment. Many times there's preferences and favoritism. He's saying love all, welcome all with the same love that God has welcomed and loved you. And when we don't, that's sin, and we've broken the whole law. And we say, oh, but that's, you know, my sins are little. James, is it's almost as if he's reading your mind. Because right now, some of you, you're probably thinking and you're probably processing this. And you might say, hey, I might not think the best about some people. I mean, there are certain people that just rub me the wrong way, certain people based on where they live, or based on this, or based on that, or the team that they follow, or whatever it might be. You say, I might not be crazy about this person. But at least I haven't killed anyone. I mean, James, he's saying, you're probably thinking that way. I mean, so what if I don't welcome everybody? So what if I'm a little, you know, I prefer the people that live in this town a little better than the people that live in this town or the people that go to this school district a little better than the people that go to this school district or if I prefer the people that follow this team versus that team or and on and on and on. He says, you might think that way. That's favoritism showing preference. We say, I'm, I'm committing One thing here, we we think we're doing well. Well, at least I haven't done that. He says, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Every single one of us are sinners in need of God's mercy. We're thankful that God's reached out to us in his love. Let's do the same reaching out to others in his love. So we should be known for showing mercy. Loving one another reciprocally. Well, I want you to show me some mercy and love. I mean, when I mess up, you know, I didn't mean it. I mean, when I mess up, you know, it was a mistake. I mean, you got to forgive me. But when you mess up, man, I'm going to hold that over you till the day I die. We have different views on things. When I mess up, no big deal, you forgive me. When you mess up, big, big deal, I won't forget. He's saying, love one another reciprocally. Love your neighbor as yourself. Reach out to them in the love of God. Finally, in verses 12 and 13, I think the encouragement then is to live mercifully to all. How do we do that? Verse 12, speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's saying we need to choose. We ought to choose to be merciful. He's kind of got that that strong sense in the meaning of the word that there's kind of something deep in our gut. Having that deep and tender act or feeling of compassion one to another, the act of mercy. And the reminder is, be merciful to others because you've received mercy. Aren't you thankful that we've received that from God? You've sinned. I've sinned. He's reached out to us in his mercy and in his grace. Again, I don't deserve it and I can't earn it, but he's offered it to me. And since he's reached out to us in grace and mercy, let us reach out to others in grace and mercy by living mercifully to others, and specifically, verse 12, speaking and acting. That's a big portion of our life, right? How do you interact with somebody? Well, it's how you talk with them, and it's how you interact with them. I mean... If I mess up in my speech, I want someone to forgive me. If I mess up in my actions, I want someone to forgive me. James is saying, live that out. In your speech, in your actions, demonstrate love, demonstrate mercy, demonstrate grace, live mercifully to all wonder what would change if that truly was our heart and our desire every single individual every christian in every church in every community in every state and nation worldwide if we lived as god's word encourages us to live not saying this is something every single person and every single church struggles with or wrestles with but it's enough of a challenge Mercy, how would that help our relationships in our homes, our home lives? As we extend mercy and love and grace to others. In the church life, in the world life, in school, in the jobs. If we reached out to other people in grace and mercy as God has reached out to us. When we're tempted to think about or tempted to judge or tempted to prejudge somebody. Remember the old quote, you've probably heard years gone by. There but for the grace of God go I. Every single one of us have sinned. Maybe I've not done what this person has done, but I've sinned. There but for the grace of God go I. I'm thankful for his love. I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful for his grace in me. So God, help me to be an individual of love and grace and mercy to others. God's reached out to us in our grace. His grace. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Oftentimes in life we say, oh, I want justice. We don't really want justice. Spiritually, we need to fall on mercy and grace. His mercy and grace is to cleanse and to forgive us, even though our sins, God's Word says we've fallen short of the glory of God. We want mercy. We've received His mercy. Let's give it and live it out to others as well. One person had this quote. I thought it was a good one. They said, never look down on anybody unless you are helping them up. A good thought. Never look down on anyone unless you're helping them up. So how we interact with others, how we welcome and treat others, it's not to show preferential treatment. It's not to show preference or favoritism. It's not to look down on someone unless we're just helping them up to look eye to eye, to welcome them. Jesus is an incredible model of showing mercy and grace to others. He reached out to a despised tax collector, right? He reached out to the Syrophoenician woman that the Jews referred to as a dog. He gave grace to the woman caught in adultery. Didn't affirm the sin. He said, go and sin no more. But he reached out in grace and love. He celebrated the little offering that the widow placed into the offering. He allowed the rich young ruler to walk away when he wouldn't turn from his love of money. And as we heard not too long ago in our story series, he used the Good Samaritan, that hated spiritual half-breed as a hero in this story about neighboring and love and welcoming. Jesus was reaching out and demonstrating how to live mercifully to all. I came across this story from a Life Magazine photo essay. They took people from all walks of life, people who were homeless all the way up to Fortune 500 executives, and they photographed them. A little little weird kind of a photo essay, but they simply were wearing a towel wrapped around their bodies. And the conclusion of this photo essay of all these people from all these walks of life around the world was what? They all looked the same. I mean, if all you're wearing is a towel, you look the same. You don't know who the homeless person is and who the Fortune 500 executive is. None of us are better than others of us. You and I are made from dirt, the same as they are. You and I are sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God, the same as they have. Your sins aren't any worse or smell, so to speak, worse than someone else's. Your sin is sin. My sin is sin. Their sin is sin. We've received mercy. Let's give and display mercy towards others. When we open our arms and welcome all equally and gracefully and loving them reciprocally and mercifully... We treat people as God intended.